But if you can pass out the Bibles uh, and turn to Acts chapter 6, and uh, as the Bibles are going round and as you're finding Acts chapter 6, which is page 1098 in the church Bibles, let me set the context a little bit for what we're talking about today. Acts chapter 6, we get to what is the end of the first chapter of the first church. Dr. Luke is writing an account of the first 30-year history of the church to his friend Theophilus, and Acts 1 to 6 describe how the church starts in Jerusalem and how the church, what the church was like in Jerusalem. And uh, this is really kind of a, such an important pivot point in the whole story, not only of the church in Jerusalem, but then of the whole story of Christianity. Because when we come back in September and we pick up uh, later on in, in Acts chapter 6, what we find is the focus suddenly shifts from Jerusalem and shifts to the gospel going to all the corners of the earth. And so we're going to come back and we're going to be thinking about the ends of the earth. But these past few weeks and this morning, we're thinking about the church, the first church in Jerusalem. And there's some things which we've seen so far about what this community of people was like. They were a community of people who had been transformed by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, the, the promised Holy Spirit. God, the person of God in the, in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the believers. They'd be completely transformed by that, filled with boldness, power, joy, love, and they'd gone out to the streets proclaiming who Christ was and what he's done, and many had responded. And so this was a church that was transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit and a church that grew rapidly numerically. It says that day by day, people were being added to their number. It's a prayer for us. Lord, add to our number. Add to our number. We're, we're, not, as, we're not as big numerically as we should be. We don't baptize people as often as we should. Our prayer should be that we would become more like this church in Jerusalem with people being added to our number. It was also a church that was characterized by signs and wonders. It says that many signs and wonders were done. And again, Lord, would you do more of that amongst us? It was also a church that grew deep rapidly. So it was growing broad as many hundreds, thousands of people were being added to them. But it also grew very deep. They're described as a people who were devoted. They were devoted to teaching devoted to fellowship, devoted to prayer, devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to becoming disciples of Christ Jesus and living in a way which reflected that. And this was a church which was flourishing, but which was in a hard place. And so they asked God, this was a church which was characterized by asking God for boldness. Lord, give us boldness that we might continue to proclaim the gospel of Christ Jesus. It's a church that was experiencing both favor and opposition. And the two went together. The more favor they experienced, the more opposition it stirred up. And the more opposition there was, the bolder they got, and the more favor they experienced, and the more opposition came. And when we come back in September, where we get to the story, is the first martyr, as Stephen is uh, killed for his faith. And then as a result, the church explodes out of Jerusalem and goes to the four corners of the earth. What, what we see here, what Luke describes for us is a, a description of what the church was like. It's not a prescription. We don't read these first six chapters in Acts and say we should be exactly like this church. We can't be. It's a different era, a different time, a different part of the world, a different point of history. But this church is for us a model of what church could be like. And it's a challenge for us when we read about what they were like and what they were seeing. And we can see the gap between our experience and their experience. And so that bursts in us a dream 
of what God could do. God, do it again. Do it in our day. May, may our experience be more like what they saw here in Jerusalem in these first days of the church. May we see more people coming to faith. May we see more evidence of your power. Lord, yeah, we'll take more opposition if it means more favor. Lord, let us see something of what they saw as a dream for us here. This was a church which is a model for us in so many ways, but while it's a model community, it's, it wasn't a perfect community. And that's also kind of reassuring because we know that we're not a perfect community either, but God still blessed them, and we can ask for God to bless us even though we're not perfect. And we see that in the story we're going to look at today. One of the things that characterized this community was their generosity. In Acts 4, verse 34, it says that there was no needy person among them. If someone was in need, other people in the church would help them out of their need. There were people who were selling houses and selling fields and putting stuff on eBay and Gumtree and taking the money and bringing it to the leaders and saying, use this to help the poor, to help the needy. And so there was no needy person amongst them. And then we get to Acts chapter 6 and it says this, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Acts 4.34, no needy person among them. Acts 6 verse 1, a whole bunch of needy people amongst them. What was going on? I think basically the admin was creaking. This was a church which was ex experiencing extraordinary growth and the administrative systems were just not robust enough to handle the need. The admin was creaking and these verses in Acts we're going to be looking at this morning are a passage about administration. Woo! administration. But what we see here is actually it is woe because administration in the church is meant to be something which is pastoral, which meets people's needs, and it's also meant to be something which is missional, which pushes the church into further increase and growth. And that's exactly what we see here in this story. Administration which is pastoral and missional, it results in care for the flock, and it results in growth of the flock. And that's what we need. We need to step up in administration. We need to gear for growth. Care for the flock and growth of the flock. Let's read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. In those days, have I got my PowerPoint? In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them. Now, there's these two groups. They're all Jews who have come to faith in Christ, but there are two kind of cultural groups. There's the Hellenistic Jews who are Jews who have adopted more Greek customs and culture. The, the Greek culture was the dominant one in that part of the world, and so these were Jews who spoke Greek as their primary language, and then there, there were the Hebra Hebraic Jews who, who were the ones who were more kind of obviously culturally Jewish. And so they're all Jews, and they all now believe in Jesus, but there's a kind of a cultural divide between them. The Hebraic Jews among them complained, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, 
Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The situation here is that the church has grown rapidly, and amongst those who've been added to them are those who are in need. And it's, for some of them, it's a very practical need. Think about the context. 2,000 years ago, even the, the wealthiest people in that society would not have enjoyed things which probably the poorest in our society enjoy. Nobody would have had running water in their houses. Nobody had flushing loos. Or the things which we take for granted. Nobody had electricity. And they just lived at what we would regard as a kind of a subsistence level. They, they lived, most of them lived at what we would regard as, as complete poverty. And there were some who just didn't have enough to eat. And there wasn't any kind of welfare system to sort them out. It was down to the community of which they were a part to make sure they didn't starve to death. And a particular group who are needy are widows. Throughout the Bible, we see that God is particularly concerned for the widow and the orphan. Why? Because certainly in ancient cultures, those were the two most vulnerable groups. If you're a widow or an orphan, you didn't have the protection of a husband and a father of that biological family. You were very vulnerable, very exposed, very weak, very marginalized. And so God has a particular concern for the widow and the orphan because they're the most vulnerable. And in this situation, the widows are vulnerable. And there's this particular group, the Hellenistic widows, who are being overlooked in the distribution of food. There's a, a cultural diversity in the church, and that's leading to some unfairness, that the Hebraic Jews are kind of looking out for their own and forgetting about looking after the Hellenistic Jews. Now, our context is very different from this context. Our needs are different. But it can happen in church life that you can have sometimes individuals, sometimes groups, who feel a bit like these Hellenistic Jewish widows did, that they just feel overlooked. You might have experienced that yourself in church life. There are times where it just feels like there's one group and there's another group, and this group is being overlooked by that group and neglected and not taken care of as they should. And, and that can happen even as, as changes happen in church life, the way that we structure ourselves. I mean, something, can happen, something like that happened when we move from meeting in one congregation to meeting in two. That suddenly some people kind of felt a little bit lost People I used to sit with on a Sunday morning aren't here anymore. They've gone somewhere else, and there can be some things we do in church life can cause that sense of I feel a little bit isolated, a little bit neglected, a bit overlooked. And when that happens, you need, you need to fix it. You need to find a solution. And the way that they fixed it here was they found some people to fix the problem. There's an administrative problem, which was a pastoral problem, which is also going to be a missional problem. They needed to fix, and they fixed it by appointing these seven men and they're not described as deacons here. Deacon is a term that's used elsewhere in the scriptures. But these seven people are often regarded as being the kind of model for what a deacon in the church looks like. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about deacons as we go. But there are seven lessons that we can learn from the appointments of these seven men. Seven things which will help us as a church, I think. The first is that there was an increase in mission. Now, this is counterintuitive because the problem was a pastoral one. And what happens when you have pastoral problems is that people in the church start to say things like, we should stop trying to reach people outside the church. We just need to care for those we've already got. There's this problem. We need to fix it. And we should stop worrying about reaching them. We need to care for ourselves. 
And that's an understandable response, but it's not what happens here. What happens here is the apostles say, we need to focus on the ministry of the word. Let's appoint some people who can fix this. And what's the result? Verse 7, the result is the word of God spreads. That a pastoral problem, fixing it, actually resulted in missional expansion and growth. And we need to remember, those of us who are part of the church, that what we have signed up to is a battleship, not a cruise liner. The cruise liner, you sit there and you expect to be cared for and waited upon and fed and every need and whim met. On a battleship, you're there for a purpose. You're there to advance, to move the thing forward, to work with your buddies, to get the job done. And church is much more like a battleship than a cruise liner. A battleship has a hospital ward where those who are sick get cared for and fixed up, but they're cared for and fixed up in order to get back into action. And that's what the church is meant to be like. And there's an increase in mission in this church. And I want us to grow. We should be numerically larger than we are. We should be. We should be seeing more people added to us. We should be baptizing people more often. We should need to have two services here on a Sunday morning. We should need to add an extra service up at Alder Road. We should because there are hundreds of thousands of people in Paul and Bournemouth who don't yet know Jesus and need to. That's our task. That's what we're here for. Second thing is that there was an increase in honesty. There was a genuine problem here. These widows were not getting looked after, and that problem got identified. And that's a painful process to go through, but it's a good one. Sometimes there are problems in church life. Sometimes things are not working as they should. Sometimes people are being overlooked. And when that happens, there needs to be enough honesty amongst us that we can say, hey, this isn't working like it should. We need... You need to have feel permission to say that. Don't just sweep it under the carpet. They didn't pretend it wasn't a problem. They were honest about it. They looked it in the face and worked out how to fix it. There's also honesty amongst the leaders because when the, when, when the Hellenistic Jews came to the 12 and said, look, we've got this problem, the 12 didn't say, okay, we'll, we'll fix that. We'll get on to that. They, they said, no, well, we can't fix that because actually we need to focus on the ministry of the word, but we will find a way for somebody else to fix it. There is incredible honesty here, which is really healthy. And a healthy community is a place where there's real honesty. And we need to have that kind of honesty. There might be that you've got questions, even questions about things that we're doing at the moment, and you need to feel free to ask them. You need to have that kind of honesty. I mean, it's, it, we keep talking about Ian and Lindsay going, it's so soon now, and you I know some have that question. Why on earth are we letting Ian and Lindsay go? Are we mad? What are we doing? It's, it's okay to ask that question. And then it's good to receive the answer as well. Well, yes, it's hugely painful. It's like ripping off our arms to see them go. But believe that God has called them. And what we're about is planting and strengthening churches. And we want to see a new church started in Glasgow. And we believe that actually God will replace what we lose. And as we sacrifice, we'll be blessed, and they'll be blessed, and Glasgow will be blessed, and so there'll be blessing all around, and that's what we're trusting God for. You might say, 2020 vision offering again in a couple of weeks. Really? Why? Well, because facilities facilitate mission. And there are things that which we need to do in this building so it facilitates our mission better. And at Alder Roads, that sucker needs to get knocked down and rebuilt. Tony Absalom was telling me this week that 40 years ago he joined the church, 45 years ago he joined the church, and at that time there was an architect's model of what that building could be like. And it's just been 
Nobody's ever grasped it, and it's fallen to us, our generation, to grasp it. And how do we do it? Well, we trust God and we grow in faith. There is honesty here. We, we need to be honest. Let's be honest. Third thing, third lesson, is that there was an increase in organization. There was a problem. These widows weren't getting fed. They needed a system. Now, we put a lot of time and energy and effort into trying to get our systems working. We have all kinds of internal systems, the way that we seek to run and administrate the church. And as, as elders and as site teams and as trustees and other leadership groups, we, we talk a lot about how we can get our systems working better so that there's fewer gaps and there's more fruit. There's all kinds of other stuff which is kind of external, which we have to comply with and adhere to, which causes administrative burden. Uh, you'll know yourselves from your workplaces how it feels like kind of bureaucratic processes are just ramping up the whole time. And that's certainly true for us legally established as a charity. There's all kinds of things which we have to do, which wasn't the case when I started in ministry 20 years ago. 20 years ago, we didn't have to do DBSs. 20 years ago, we didn't have GDPR and all the other stuff which we now have to comply with. The charity commission wasn't nearly as active as it now is. There's so much which we have to process and deal with and administrate, and that takes energy and effort and people. And you know what? We need some help in increasing an organization. We do. One of the things that Ian has done as part of his job, I think, You'd be the first to say, wouldn't you, Ian, that it's not your primary gifting or calling administration. But when we took him on staff, we said, here, mate, lucky you, you're doing this. And as actually, Ian has been, as in everything, been incredibly faithful and diligent in doing the things that he's been asked to do. Ian's leaving, and we want to fill that administrative gap, but actually we want it done even better. <laughs> more fully and more fruitfully. And uh, so we, we advertised a few weeks ago for some administrative help, and I'm so excited to announce today who we have appointed to help us in, the, in, in working on the staff team with administration, that uh, Donna Ashton and Becky Bertrand. <laughs> two weeks Tuesday, 26th of June, will be starting work with us in the office up at Alder Road, and I'm so pleased about this. So Donna is going to be our administration manager. She's going to be helping all the kind of high-level system stuff work. She's going to be the person making sure the wheels are turning and the wheels are oiled. She's going to be helping me personally in some of the stuff that I do, both locally and more broadly, and uh, serving across the advanced family of churches. Uh, it's going to have a really big impact, I think, on helping us get administratively, just get better. And then Becky's going to be our administrative assistant, and she's going to be actually in the office a bit more than, than Donna. Uh, so if you call the office or come into the office during the week, you'll probably see Becky there. She's going to be doing more of the routine admin, kind of receptionist, phone answering, all that kind of stuff. And we, we also, in talking with Becky and looking at, at the gaps that we have, felt that we wanted to increase what we were offering. So we, we appointed her for the admin job, but we've also appointed her as a pastoral assistant. And she's going to be working particularly to help administrate and pastor our children's ministry across both sites, make sure that 502 and Alder Road is working well together. She's also going to be giving more of a lead to what we do at Little Gators on Friday mornings, which is our, our, our carers and children's ministry there, which we have huge numbers come to now and just needs more leadership behind it. She's also going to be helping with Oasis, which is our ministry to uh, those in the domestic violence refuge. So she's going to be helping administering and pastoring across the church. And having Donna and Becky with us 
helping us with this. It's just, I'm so thrilled it's happened. I'm really excited about them starting. Uh, they were in the office with us on Friday, and we had such fun starting to think about how everything's going to get changed and how I'm going to get organized by them, and uh, just really excited by it. So there is an increase in organization in Jerusalem. We're looking to increase in organization here as well. Fourth thing, fourth lesson, there is an increase in the number of leaders. Part of the reason we've appointed Donna and Becky is because we already recognize them as leaders amongst us. They already have leadership influence here with us. And the solution to pastoral problems is always found in raising up more leaders. Mission needs more leaders. The problem isn't lack of harvest. The problem is always lack of laborers. If you're going to build community, you need community leaders. If you're going to care for the flock of God's sheep, you need shepherds. And the seven who were appointed here in Jerusalem, they were appointed to fix an administrative problem. But they were clearly pastors and they were clearly men on a mission as well. They took up more responsibility. And we need people to step up and take responsibility. We need people who say yes. And my, my general encouragement to you, if you're part of the church, if you're a church member, would be if, if you're asked to do something your default should be yes. Sure, say no if, you've got, if you have a good reason. And often there are good reasons. Sometimes you just haven't got the capacity. Sometimes you can't do a particular thing because you're already committed somewhere else at that time. Or There are good reasons to say no, but our default attitude should be one of saying yes. That's what happened with these seven. They were asked by the apostles and by the church, and they said yes, gladly, willingly, we'll serve in this way. And there are things that we're doing here at Gateway to help increase the number of leaders that we have amongst us. There's all kinds of things we're doing across our teams to raise up leadership. There's some very deliberate, intentional things that we're doing. One of the things that Grace and I have been doing since last September is we've been meeting with a, a group we're calling our leadership cohorts on Friday evenings once a month throughout the year to input and talk and train and seek to raise the level of leadership. We've been doing that with the Painters and with the Ashtons and uh, from Alder Road with the Montgomerys and Bertrands and Emmanuels. And it's been great to meet with those uh, five couples over these past few months and see them grow in leadership and understanding of what that means in the church. We're going to be running that program again in September with a different bunch, looking to raise up more leaders, help more people understand what leadership is. Something else very intentional we want to do is to once more clarify and recognize the role of deacons. Deacons are a weird word. It's a Greek word. It means servants. And deacons are those who are recognized as having a particular serving role in the life of the church. What Scripture tells us about, about deacons is that these are people who have got to be of godly character. They've got to be people who are spiritual, full of the Holy Spirit. And they're people who have a clear area of pastoral responsibility. And that's what we see with the seven who are appointed here. This is why they're thought of as the model deacons. There are people who are, who are godly in character, they're full of the Holy Spirit, and they're giving a, a clear area of responsibility which they're to pastor and care for. Now, we appointed our first deacons at Gateway seven years ago, but uh, the whole idea of deacons has, has kind of rather uh, fallen through the cracks the last few years for a number of reasons. Partly we've been focusing on other things. Uh, but we haven't really talked about deacons, and we haven't recognized any deacons as we would like, and uh, probably most of you wouldn't even know that we have deacons, and so we want to clarify that again and recognize that 
ministry role in the church. And so our plan is that from this September, each September we'll have a Sunday where we recognize deacons. And um, the way we're going to do that is going to be a little bit different. The qualifications are still the same. Godly character, full of the spirits, clear area of pastoral responsibility. But it's going to be different because we want to appoint deacons on an annual basis. Uh, I think one of the reasons why we got a little bit stuck with the deacon role is that we appointed people to particular areas and then the the areas that people serve in change. And once somebody's appointed to a deacon, they're still a deacon if they're not serving in the thing they were appointed a deacon in and all that kind of stuff just got a little bit confusing. So we think it will help to say each September, recognize these people, quality of their character, reality of the spirit at work in them, and the fact that they have this clear pastoral responsibility. And so for the next 12 months, we want to recognize these people as our deacons. It might be that following September they continue as deacons. It might be they don't. It might be areas of responsibility change. But that's uh, what we want to do. So between now and September, we're going to be working on that. As elders, we've got a list of people we think we should be recognizing as deacons. It might be that as a congregation, the people that you want to say to us, these people really do feel like deacons amongst us. These are people who are godly character, full of the Holy Spirit, clearly leading, serving in his particular responsibility. And in September, we'll take a Sunday and we'll recognize and appoint some deacons, which I think will help us again as we, like the church in Jerusalem, look to see an increase in the number of leaders. Does that make sense? Sound good? Fifth thing is that there was an increase in faith levels. It says that the reason that Stephen was chosen as one of these men, was that he was full of faith. And there's a particular focus on Stephen here because the next part of the story is about Stephen. It's about Stephen being martyred for his faith. He gets stoned to death. He was a man full of faith, a man so full of faith, he was prepared to die for his faith. Now, we need to have people in Gateway who are full of faith. Faith is contagious. Now, you, can either, you can be somebody who sucks faith out of others or you can feed faith in others. And Stephen and the other six men appointed here were clearly the kind of men who fed faith because it seems that the, the, the faith level of the whole church just increased as these seven were appointed. It says that the, this decision to appoint these seven pleased all of them. Everybody was happy about this decision Faith grew, the mission continued, the word spread, the number of those coming to faith increased rapidly. Faith was growing, and it was growing partly because these men of faith were recognized and their faith was contagious, it fed faith. And so we need to be people who put ourselves in a position where we feed ourselves so that we can be faithful people, and we need to, we need to work to feed faith in others. Don't be somebody who sucks faith out of others, be somebody who feeds faith in others. This is one of the reasons why it's really important that we're together in the forest next Sunday, next Saturday. It's an opportunity for us to feed faith as, as Brian and Rachel are, are with us. It's going to feed faith. They will feed faith to us. They're faithful people. When I'm, when I'm with Brian and Rachel, my faith grows. It's contagious. When I'm with Ryan, Tim always hates he's with us the following weekend. My faith grows. That's why we bring our friends with us. We've got, we bring faithful friends to minister amongst us. You can help us grow in faith. Let's, let's, let's feed faith. They, they grew in faith. We need to grow in faith. Faith is infectious. Sixth, 
lesson we can learn is that there was an increase in being Spirit-led. The seven they appointed were full of the Holy Spirit. And as a consequence of them being appointed, the work of the Spirit moves forward and has greater impact, greater fruit. And this shows us just how different administration in the church is meant to be from administration. We, can, we all know what the dead hand of bureaucracy is like. We all know how administration can suck life out of things, how it can kill community. It can happen when administration just becomes about ticking the boxes and doing the things you have to do. It just becomes legalistic and heavy and life-depleting. And that's not what happened here. There was an administration, administrative problem that needed sorting. These widows needed caring for. But the people they appointed to administrate that didn't suck the life out of the church. Rather, more life came. There was more faith and more activity of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that as we see Donna and Becky start working with us, that our administration will improve, but that it will be spirit-led, spirit-filled administration, that it will be life-giving rather than life-depleting. I think Donna and Becky bring that even with us on Friday as we were starting to talk about how they'd operate in the office. There's a sense of life that comes because they're, they're there. That's what we're looking for as we recognize deacons in September. That's not a kind of a heavy administrative role. No, we're looking for life to come in us as a church. That's, that's how it's meant to work. Life comes. We need spiritual people. That means we need to put ourselves in a place where we keep getting filled with the Spirit. It's another reason to be on the church day out next Saturday. The opportunity to receive, to minister to, to know the reality of God working in you again. We need, don't be a dry old twig. Be full of life. Be full of the Spirit. It's what these seven were like. It's what we want to be like. And then the last lesson is that there was an increase in hospitality. There was a hospitality problem. The Hellenistic Jewish widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. They weren't being cared for. There was a lack of hospitality. Hospitality is so key to community. Community flourishes where there's hospitable hearts and hospitable homes. Just begin in the heart. What well, is our heart hospitable? Is our heart, do we have hearts which reach out to others? Do we have hearts which are welcoming to others? Works out in the home. Have hospitable homes. Have people around to your house. And not just the ones you always have around to your house. Have people you wouldn't normally ask, you wouldn't normally invite. Risk it. Ask somebody you don't really know so well. Bring them back for lunch on the Sunday. Doesn't have to be flash. Doesn't have to be elaborate. Don't have to be embarrassed if you're about your house, whatever it's like. Just be hospitable. It's what this church increasingly became like. It's what we need to be like. Also affects how we do Sunday mornings. Those of us who are part of the church, members here, we need to see this like our front room. If you're, if you're new here this, today, or just been coming the past few weeks, I, I hope that what you feel is you're kind of welcomed in. I hope you feel hosp there's hospitality here for you. That's what we want. If you're a member of this church, you need to think... How would you treat people if they came into your front room? You wouldn't just ignore them, walk past them. You'd engage them in conversation. You'd offer them a drink. You'd give them some food. That's what it needs to be like here. If you're a member of the church, this is your living room. Treat strangers who come into it in the same way. Be hospitable. There's an increase in hospitality in this church. 
And what was the result of all this? What was this, the result of these seven things, or this increase in mission, increase in honesty, increase in organization, increase in leaders, increase in faith, increase in the Spirit, increase in hospitality? What happened? Well, what happened is this. The Word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number, even of the priests, those who should have been most, who were most hostile to faith in this Messiah, Jesus, even they became obedient to the faith. Hallelujah. That's what happened. And the widows got cared for. That's the kind of stuff we want to be happening here at Gateway Church. Why do we keep pushing the strengths fine today? Why do I want you to come to the strengths day? It's because that will help equip you to understand more of how God has gifted you. It will help you to flow in the gifts that God has given you, which will mean that you'll be more effective in the mission that God has called you to. It means that you're better at serving other people. It means you're better at hospitality. It will mean that our administration will run more effectively. It means that our mission will be more effective. It's why we do these things. It's why we put on this stuff. It's not just to fill the diary. It's to help equip us so that we grow as a church, that we know more of the joy of the Lord, that we're more effective, that we're more fruitful, that our prayers might be answered, that we might see that baptism open more often, that we might see more people coming to faith in Jesus, that we might see those who don't know Christ walking here and finding a home. That's what we want. That's what this church was like in Jerusalem. We can't be exactly as they are. It's a description, not a prescription. But I want us to be more like them in our experience and what we see. That's my prayer. Let's gear for growth. Let's be people who are open to God, open to one another, open to those who don't yet know him. Let's be people who are generous-hearted, full of the joy of God, who speak faith to one another and see amazing things happen in the name of Jesus. Amen?